Well, we're pleased now to be joined by a friend of the show, Stephen Lassen, college football editor for Athlon Sports. And of course, this is maybe the best time of the offseason because we got the Athlon Sports Magazine college football previews coming out. So, Stephen, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, Mike, it's always good to talk to you. And you said it best there. It's one of the best times of the year. It's talking season. We're previewing the season. The magazine is on the newsstands. We can't be wrong about anything just yet. It's all preseason stuff. So uh, looking forward to it. It should be an exciting year in the SEC. Well, before we get rolling here, Stephen, can you tell the listeners where can they get their Athlon Sports magazines? I know you got the the national preview. You also got the SEC preview. I get both of them, but where can the listeners find that? Yeah, so if you go to your bookstore, grocery store, they should be on newsstands right now. May 25th was the official on-sale date, and give or take a few days in certain places. If you want to buy them from our online store, you can go to athlonsports.com. At the very top, there is a buy your magazine uh, link there, and it takes you to our store. So, you know, the good thing about that is if you're a Texas A&M fan that's living in South Carolina, we can ship you the Texas A&M cover because they're all regional. So South Carolina will get the South Carolina cover. But there is a little bit of a difference in the magazines, too. The SEC is a more in-depth preview of just SEC teams, and the National has a preview for every uh, all 130 teams. So AthlonSports.com or your bookstore, local grocery store should have them right now. All right, yeah, and I'll put a link in the show notes for anybody interested. Head on over to the uh, Athlon Sports online store. That's how I get mine because, like Stephen says, I like to pick my own cover. So, And when, when it's Athlon Sports time, Stephen, no joke, every day I'm checking the mailbox about three or four different times to see if that mailman <laughs> has come yet because it, it's like Christmas uh, here in May. So I really appreciate you and all the work you guys do at Athlon. That's why I really wanted to have you on, but – you know, before we get rolling here with, uh, you know, the predictions and stuff like that, I, you know, I had two questions I really wanted to ask you. Just, you know, how difficult, in your opinion, is it to grade last season? I know nobody is, you know, we're all tired of talking about COVID, but, uh, you know, with players missing and coaches not getting the spring and, and just all the craziness that was last season, how much tougher did that make putting this magazine together? significantly tougher. Um, I'm glad you asked about that because I, I found it to be one of the most challenging magazines as far as predictions, understanding teams that we've had to do. And, you know, in, in the SEC, you know, teams got nine or 10 games, but the it was a 10 game SEC slate. So it was a, different than previous years. But the Pac-12 had teams that had four games, had six games, seven so even if teams played a normal season, because of how the season played out with guys missing time due to positive tests or quarantine, you mentioned the new coaches. That is one of the hardest things that we tried to grapple with during our process. Um, you know, first year coaches struggled. The coordinators didn't have a lot of time. So it, it was by far, I think, one of the toughest kind of preseason prediction processes that we had to do, especially too, if you consider going back to, you know, last season in 2020, we had questions from 2019 and some things that we were kind of waiting to see what would happen. But because of how unusual the season is, I don't know that we found necessarily answers for those things. So I think 
there's a lot of unknown going into this year. And I think a lot of uncertainty on some of these question marks. Well, kind of piggybacking off that and, and what you just, you know, hit on there, the, the uncertainty, how much difficulty is there in projections with uh, the transfer portal? That was the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, for sure. I, I I can tell you, as somebody who has to publish a magazine, the transfer portal uh, deadline is you know extremely difficult to navigate. Unfortunately, you know our magazine went to press right as the final SEC uh, spring games wrapped up. So so we've missed some transfers. Unfortunately, I think going forward, it will be a little easier with the deadline on on May first. But you know, it is in a broad sense, it, it's a it's an interesting and also kind of a new angle in college football, just because you see Alabama go get Henry Toa Toa and Jamison Williams guys that are going to play a lot right away. We think, and there are other teams that like South Carolina brought in more transfers that are going to be needed right away to be competitive. Whereas Alabama is just trying to get the one or two guys that they need to get back to the national championship game. So different strategies, and I think just all that new and transition and moving parts just adds to the difficulty uh, of college football. You know, the year-to-year variance in, in college football is is always something that intrigues me, and, and I think we'll see even more of that with the transfer portal. Well, getting into uh, the Athlon Sports Preview magazine, you've got, you know, you talked about how difficult last season was for first-year coaches, but two guys that got a grades in the SEC as first-year head coaches, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, Eli Drinkowitz at Missouri. Uh, can you talk about uh, what they showed last season in their first year in the SEC as head coaches? What gave you the, the confidence to give Kiffin an A and Drinkowitz an A? You know, I think for Missouri, I thought they overachieved last season. Uh, I thought just getting to – five and five was a big deal because, you know, we, we came into the last season just with kind of low expectations for Missouri, the uncertainty, a quarterback, a, a coaching change, and just getting to uh, 500, making a bowl game, of course, that was canceled uh, was, you know, significantly above our expectations. And, and I think for, for the most part around the SEC. So I, I think when you, you watch Missouri and you see the, the early season win, of course, against LSU, you saw what Eli Drinkowitz is trying to do. And, and I think all the circumstances just getting to that point in the nation's toughest conference uh, gave us confidence to give him that grade. And, and I think with Lane Kiffin, you know, Ole Miss is just going to be, you know, fun to watch every freaking week in the SEC just because, uh, you know, the offense and the style of play. But, you know, they pushed Alabama as hard as anybody did last year. They also gave Florida a lot of trouble in the season opener. And, and I think you just saw that this team was just better from the eye test, from the stat test on offense. So I, I think Ole Miss hit a home run with Lane Kiffin as it's higher. And I think we, we thought he did a great job last year. We think he's going to be even better going forward. Now, staying in that state, though, one guy, I got to ask you why you hate Mike Leach. He got uh, a C grade, <laughs> number 15. And I'm just kidding about that. But uh, what goes into uh, Mike Leach getting such a, a low grade there for his debut? You know, I think Mike Leach's grade might be a little bit out of um, out of his control more than other ones. I, I think for starters, you know, when Mike Leach and, and running the air raid offense, and so much of that is timing and rhythm between your quarterbacks and receivers. And just the overall scheme change 
it was pretty significant from the last two coaches and the the quarterback turnover. They started with KJ Costello, the great win against LSU, and then things just kind of didn't go well from that point. And I thought they got better over the course of the season, but you know there there are positives to build on for Mississippi State. Certainly, I just think he was one of those coaches that we will get a better sense of where he is going forward because having a normal offseason will be great for his offense and, and all that. I, I think long term. Mississippi State is going to be fine. I just think with their record and kind of how things started, then how things went in the middle, uh, we just didn't think he was quite up to Kiffin or Drinkowitz in, in grades. Now you got Mike Elko as a coach on the rise, Texas A&M's defensive coordinator. Uh, I've been touting the Aggies as I think they're going to have one of the best defenses in the SEC next season. If that is the case and, and Texas A&M lives up to expectations, could this be the last year you think that we see Mike Elko as an assistant and then potentially as a head coach. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think um, Mike, uh, you know, his name came up in the Kansas search too. So you, you can start to see that his name will be mentioned more in coaching searches. I think over next season or, or the year after, I think on paper, when you start looking at Texas A&M this year, I mean, they gave up 22 points a game last season, but they bring back nine starters and, and you start look at the depth chart. I mean, Lil's back at, on the defensive line, and the, the secondaries made big strides, too. Just statistically, Texas A&M's defense is among the best in college football, and I think that's a big reason why we've got them projected in the top 10. So absolutely, Mike Elko is a coach on the rise, and I don't think he will have to wait too long to find a head coaching job. Of course, you know he could also be pretty picky too, because uh, you know with the way that he's recruiting and developing, he should have plenty of good defenses to come there in College Station. Now, Athlon also in the in the preview magazine this year's got a section best games of 2021, and several of these involve at least one SEC team. And the one number one on the list, I think this is everybody's number one game they're looking forward to, at least for the regular season: Georgia, Clemson in Charlotte, in the season opener. And I'm not asking you to necessarily pick the game. I know it's over, well, as this comes out, 100 days away, basically, from from this game. (laughs) But if you had to lean which one direction, who do you like in that game? Man, it's so tough because I I think you look at these two teams and you see a lot of similarities and question marks. Offensive line and secondary for both teams is kind of under construction early in the year. And of course, both of these teams have quarterbacks who haven't started a full season, but we feel really, really good about. I, I think I would probably side with the odds makers. Clemson is a slight favorite right now. I would probably lean that direction. But, you know, I, I think one of the things we will be interested to see this offseason for Georgia is they've dipped into the transfer portal for help. Uh, you know, does George Pickens get back? You know, how fast does he get back? I don't think he's going to be back by the opener, but certainly uh, I will be very interested to see where that line ends up. Uh, by August or early September, I would lean Clemson, but man, it's it, it's close. I mean, I would say it's it's in my mind like a point or two difference between these two teams right now. Now, the number five game on Athlon's list: Georgia, Florida, of course, annually in Jacksonville. What about that? Who are you leaning towards in that one? And and keep keep in mind, Stephen. Depending on your answer, one fan base thinks you're a genius; the other one thinks you're completely biased and a fool. So. Uh, so be careful with uh, your answer here. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think last year I took a lot of uh, heat for picking Florida to win the <laughs> SEC East, and uh, I think that turned out okay. So I'll make Georgia fans happy this year. I like Georgia in that game, and I think you can kind of look at last season as kind of a, a an interesting parallel between these two teams. Georgia has an edge at quarterback, although we, we think Emory Jones is going to be pretty good too. But Georgia doesn't have to play Alabama during the regular season. Florida does. But I think Georgia, just comparing these two teams, the offense is improving, and I feel a lot better about Georgia's defense right now, even though the secondary at cornerback, a little bit unsettled. Uh, I will take Georgia to win that game. All right, number eight on the list. This will be the last uh, big game I want to ask you about, but Alabama at Florida, week three of the season. And I think this is – you know, maybe if this game was later in the season, it, it wouldn't be that intriguing to me, but it'll be the first time Bryce Young, if he is the starting quarterback, like we all assume, first time in a, in a true hostile environment as a starting quarterback. Thoughts on this one? And we, we all know Dan Mullen is one heck of a coach. No one's going to be picking Florida to win this game, but could you see a, a path to the Gators, you know, shocking the college football world and, and beating Alabama at home week three of the season? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think it's going to be very difficult to beat Alabama this year. I think it would, for Florida, Emory Jones would just have to have a huge performance. And not only that, Florida's defense will have to be a lot better this season. But I think the the X factor that you mentioned is that it's early in the year. Alabama's going to have a new quarterback. They've got three new starters in the offensive line. And with all the losses at receiver, they're, they're going to be breaking in a lot of new in, in that game. So going in the swamp, which I suspect Florida will have a better defense this year, uh, it, it will be interesting. But I, I just think it's going to require those two things, quarterback play and defense, to kind of rise to the occasion. Alabama's new pieces maybe don't play as well early in the season and Florida kind of catches them off guard. So I, I think Alabama is going to win that game, but the timing of it is very interesting. All right. So this is what everybody, this is when you get your Athlon magazine, this is what you go to. You go immediately to the predictions. Who does Athlon got winning each division? Who do they got winning the entire SEC? And this year, Alabama over Georgia in the SEC championship game. So I really wanted to ask you this, Stephen, if one of those teams does not win their division, which would be the bigger surprise? So I guess what I'm asking is uh, which pick are, is Athlon or, or you specifically more confident is going to win their division, Alabama in the West or, or Georgia in the East? It's a good question. I, I think I, I would say Georgia has fewer contenders. You know, when you look at the West, I, I feel I feel like Alabama, I think you know, we, we've rated them as the best team in college football, and I think they'll end up there. But they do have to go on the road, like we talked about, to Florida, to Texas A&M, and, of course, we'll see what happens with LSU this year and how far they improved. There's more threats in that division, whereas when you look at Georgia, uh, you know, Florida, we've got them finishing number 11. think they're going to be just fine offensively, maybe not as explosive, defensive question marks. Uh, I, I feel... I feel a lot better, I guess, Georgia, just because the lack of contenders there. Uh, Alabama is certainly a very heavy favorite, but just the lack of other options uh, for Georgia would probably give me more, a little bit more confidence there. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll go into number two in the SEC West, Texas A&M. You know, just miss, missed the uh, college football playoff and 
certainly seems like Jimbo's got that thing right where he wants it. And he's talking a big game. He's all oh, nothing but bravado there in <laughs> college station this year. So what would it take in your mind, uh, you know, short of a, something disastrous happened for Alabama, but what will it take for the Aggies, you know, something within their program to, to take that next step and potentially win the West this year? You know, I think the first thing that jumps to my mind is the last time that Alabama lost this division, it was because of Joe Burrow's emergence at LSU, which transformed that offense. The And when you look at A&M this year, new quarterback, four new starters on the offensive line. And Jimbo does a great job of developing quarterbacks. His track record at Florida State and, and so far at Texas A&M is very good. But throwing a new quarterback in there with four new starters on the offensive line and needing guys to develop that receiver is going to be, I think, challenge. I think it's going to be a challenge for Texas A&M to get all that up to speed and try to beat Alabama. I think maybe if if Kellen Mond was back and that offensive line was back this year, maybe that conversation for uh, how high Texas A&M is is a little bit different. They may they may be another spot or, or a little closer to the top five. Uh, but I, I think for a for AM, the defense is loaded. I think it's just all about the offense. It's how fast does the quarterback situation fall into place in the offensive line. If they can solve those two things, the game against Alabama's not to October, which gives them time. Uh, but that will determine just how high they can climb in the West this year. Now, I don't want to ask you the same exact thing for LSU, but uh, do you think the the Tigers are a legitimate contender to win the West considering you know, they're bringing back a ton of uh, production more than I think anyone short of Ole Miss this season in the SEC. And, and hey, they finished pretty strong last year, beat Florida, beat Ole Miss. So uh, what's the path for LSU? Do you think they there's any outside chance that they could win the West this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we have to at least give them a chance just because they have talent. LSU is not hurting for for roster talent. I think the uh, we we looked at LSU as kind of the biggest wild card in the SEC West this year. They they were just a really hard team to get a read on, and I think it just goes back to coaching. I mean, they were they're one year removed from winning the national championship at at the end of the 2019 season, but two coordinators that are first time play callers combined with question marks on both sides of the ball. But they if it all falls into place, LSU is going to be much better than where we have them finishing, uh, which is 17th. I, I like the fact they have a lot of experience on both lines of scrimmage. I, I, I just think that it's really hard for their defense to be as bad as it was last year when you have guys like Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks and the depth that they have up front. So I, I suspect we will see a much improved LSU team and getting Texas A&M, getting Florida at home is a huge plus in their favor. But road trips to Ole Miss and Alabama, I, I think they're going to fall short. I think they're going to be better, but I don't know how much just because they're just so much of a wild card right now with all the changes and, and kind of question marks kind of surrounding this program. Now, how big of a separation do you have between – that next year in the West, because we're looking at Ole Miss. That's uh, where Athlon's got Ole Miss four, Auburn five, Arkansas six, and Mississippi State seven, but all within a, a two game record here. Only one game separating those, if you want to break it down by SEC prediction. So the way I look at this, I mean, 
good luck predicting this one because I think you could mismatch, you know, any of these four, basically any order you want. And I, and I would buy it. So uh, what are your thoughts on those four teams? You know, I think the first thing is, I think there is a little bit of a gap between LSU and Ole Miss, but I could be, could be persuaded that if Ole Miss improves defensively, that perhaps they could sneak in, uh, you know, sneak up the standings a little bit by a spot or two. Really like this offense. Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral are going to score a ton of points this year. And yes, they are losing Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa, but they've got playmakers. It's it's just all about how far that defense improves. So I, I like Ole Miss at four. We have Auburn at five. You know, they are another hard team to figure out uh, just because it's a transition year under a new coach. How far does Brian Harson develop Bo Nix or TJ Finley? Offensive line's been an issue at Auburn too. Their schedule, I think, is kind of difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. Penn State and non-conference play, Georgia and not in and, and crossover play. And then you have to still face the top four teams that we have projected in the West. So I think Auburn's a bit of a mystery. I, I think Brian Harson's a good hire. I, I just wonder how how fast it will fall into place. And those bottom two teams, man, I suspect Arkansas and Mississippi State are going to be really difficult outs for a lot of people in the league this year. I, I think both are getting better, and especially Arkansas, just the fact that they were so much better last year under Sam Pittman. I think in if they were in the East, I would probably pick them third this year. But because of the West being so difficult, we have them sixth and seventh. So I, I kind of separate Ole Miss. I think they're a little bit better than Auburn and the other two teams. But you're right. I mean, something for Arkansas, Mississippi State breaks right. And maybe they're a little bit better than we think. And I could easily see them sneak into fifth and try to get into that you know tw- tw- top 25 to 30 range. Well, jumping over to the SEC East, so you've already expressed that you think uh, Emory Jones is going to be a solid quarterback, and we all know Dan Mullen, how good of a coach he is, but certainly lost a, a good, you know, several elite playmakers off that team, on, on especially the offensive side of the ball. So what are you anticipating for the Gators this year? I mean, are they going to be more uh, defensive, uh, running the ball type team? What do you see for the Gators there, and, and what's – you know, what's the path to them repeating in the East potentially? You know, I think you mentioned running game and defense there kind of together. And I, and I think there's something to this that Emory Jones plus Pierce Bowman uh, right at running back, perhaps Florida this year, uh, maybe is doesn't play with as quick of a tempo. They can use that running game to protect their defense to some extent. And in their defense from a talent standpoint, should be better. I mean, you throw Elam at cornerback and the and you know guys like Brenton Cox and and Ventrell Miller, uh, they should be better on defense. So I, I think it's hard for me to see them replicating giving up six point one yards per play next season. They should be better there. And I think Jones plus the running backs on offense, they they will put up some points. Maybe not as much as last season. So I think the path to Florida winning the East. They got to get good quarterback play to Emory Jones and they have to build the offense around him. And then defense has to take a step forward that getting LSU and Alabama in crossover play is really difficult. And, and I think that might be the biggest obstacle that they're going to be good top 10, top 12, good. But when you have to play at LSU 
You still have to play Georgia and you have to play Alabama. Uh, they might be 10 and two, nine and three type team this year. Now, Athlon's got Missouri number three in the East. That's pretty high, but, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of projections. A lot of people think, uh, certainly with under Eli Drinkwitz, the Tigers are, are, are on the up and up, but I'm a little freaked out about how last season kind of caved on them and I don't really get all the Connor Basilak love. So what's your confidence level in Missouri being number three in the East? Yeah, you know, first of all, I, I would say third and fourth in the East is a definite toss-up. We spent a lot of time, you know, kind of deciphering whether Missouri should be three or Kentucky should be three. Uh, based on track record, Kentucky certainly under Mark Stoops uh, is a pretty strong argument. But I think the argument for Missouri over Kentucky goes back to just a couple things. Missouri is kind of a year ahead in transition on offense. Kentucky having a new offensive coordinator, a new style. I, I share your, I guess, kind of um, cautious optimism on Connor Bazelak. He had the big performance against LSU. The stats weren't there the rest of the year. But I think there's something for Drinkowitz to work on. And so just those two, Drinkowitz and Bazelak and the offensive transition, having a full year to kind of go through that while Kentucky's trying to sort out its quarterback position and scheme, I think gave me a little bit more confidence about Missouri at three. Also, the game between these two is early in the season, and I think that benefits Missouri just because of the things that we mentioned, transition and quarterback play. But you know, uh, this Missouri team is far from perfect because their defense has to be a lot better and they've got to get more playmakers on the outside. And, and of course, the running back position, finding the new go-to guy um, is a question mark. So we we think it's a it's definitely a close call. We gave a small edge to Missouri. Yeah, yeah. So you said it there, you got Kentucky four. Now there's no way to kind of know this would happen, but let's just – we live in a world where Kentucky nailed the offensive coordinator hire. They nailed the whoever they named the quarterback, and, and he has a terrific season. If that were to happen, those two things, could you see Kentucky possibly making a jump all the way up to maybe even number two in the East if, if you know, those two dream scenarios happen for the Wildcats? It's a good question. I think, first of all, you know, we've, you know, I've mentioned Florida's crossover. If, if you think Florida loses, to LSU, Alabama, and Georgia, you know, you're already looking at three SEC losses. Could Kentucky beat Florida head to head? Yeah, sure. They just did it a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I think if if things fall into place, we're going to miss on Kentucky. I, I just think the quarterback offensive transition, the playmakers at receiver may keep this team down at number four this year, but we still think they're going to be, you know, a top 35 team. And some of the, the things that, you know, you look at their defense, only four starters are back. I think they're going to be fine there and on the offensive line. And I and I, I love watching Christopher Rodriguez, the running back, too. He's mm-hmm. going to have a good season. So if things fall into place, we will miss on Kentucky. But I also think we are concerned about those offensive uh, question marks, like you mentioned. Now, number five, you got Tennessee. And, you know, I certainly understand that, but, um, you know, I think it's very popular to just kind of crap all over the balls with, with all the guys they had departing and, and all the scandal and everything. And some people think Tennessee's the worst team in the SEC, but I think they're a lot more talented than people give them credit for. And I, I think Josh Heupel, while he may not have a deep team, I think he's taken over several positions that, that have 
you know, quality players. So uh, thoughts on the Vols there at number five in the SEC East. Yeah, I share kind of your thoughts there that Heupel it has enough to get to a bowl game this year. Uh, if you give Tennessee wins over South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and the three non-conference games they'll be favored in, there's five right there. Mm-hmm. They just need to beat Pitt or pick up another win in SEC play to get to six. I think if you start going down the roster for Tennessee, they are thin at some spots. But I think dipping into the transfer portal like they have on defense, especially at linebacker, um, will help them a lot. And I think fill some of those gaps. Offensively, Tennessee's got options at quarterback, whether it's Milton, Hinton Hooker, Harrison Bailey. At least they have options. And Hypo has shown that he can get quality quarterback play and having that many options that are talented, I think he'll figure something out. And I, I kind of like some of Tennessee's playmakers at running back and receiver, especially Jalen Hyatt, uh, you know, Cade Mays and Darnell Wright. That's a pretty talented, you know, do uh, some to build your offensive line around. So I, I don't think, like you mentioned, depth is a major issue for Tennessee but there's enough frontline talent. And if they can squeeze out decent quarterback play, just getting to six and six would be a, a good accomplishment for Josh Heupel. And I think that's very achievable this year. Now, number six, you got South Carolina. Now, again, kind of similar to Tennessee. There's, you know, the defensive line looks very good. The, the offensive line is experienced and maybe the best group of running backs in the entire SEC. I, I know Texas A&M and Georgia fans get mad when I say that. So, There are pieces there to like about South Carolina, but it's got to be tough to project what they're going to do under a first-time head coach and uh, an offensive coordinator that I never even heard of till he got the job. But uh, what are your thoughts on the Gamecocks there at number six in the East? Yeah, a a really hard team to get a read on, like you said. I I think the the first thing that jumps to mind is Shane Beamer was a popular hire, and uh, I think he's also inheriting a job that's got a lot of work. Uh, switching to a four-two-five defense after losing guys like J.C. Horn and some of the other players they have in the secondary, it's going to be tough. And, and I think you know, like much like Tennessee and some of these other teams, they dipped into the transfer portal for help, and, and they needed at a couple positions. I, I think this team, when, when you look at the strengths, you mentioned it: running backs. Marshawn Lloyd, Harris, that's uh, a pretty quality one-two punch. They just don't have a lot of proven playmakers at receiver. And the quarterback position, Luke Doty, you know, good runner. Can he be consistent enough as a passer to get this team to a bowl game? So I, I think it's more likely that they're somewhere four and eight, five and seven type team. Um, just a lot of new pieces, a lot of unknown. And I, and I think that it's going to be a transition type year for this team. Now, last you got Vanderbilt, number seven, coming off of the Owen, what was it, Owen nine season. Uh, thoughts on, you know, Clark Lee and, hey, at least they got a quarterback to build around. But, uh, you know, the, the reality of the Vanderbilt uh, program he's taken over, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a complete rebuild with all the defections they had. So uh, can you give Vanderbilt fans, uh, you know, reason for optimism? So I think the, the first thing that jumps to my mind this offseason is, Listening to Clark Lee, you get the impression that it is not a one-year fix. You know, he's talking, you know, five, 10-year plans. So in some respects, I know that's not like optimistic for Vanderbilt, but I I really think they nailed the coaching hire. He, you know, Nashville native, played at Vanderbilt, understands what it takes to win there and the challenges. And they took a 
a step forward by the facility announcement, all those things. Like Vanderbilt has has had a pretty good off season, uh, just getting Clark Lee with with everything with the facilities. So I think it is a true kind of year zero type situation. They, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily read too much into how many players um, teams have on our all conference team as as far as a true indicator of team strength across the board. But Vanderbilt only had a couple guys, I think three, that made our all-conference team. There just wasn't a lot of high-end talent. So rebuilding year, but they do have two pretty talented quarterbacks in in Ken Seals and Mike Wright. They at least give them something to build around. So I I think if you're Vanderbilt, just getting to three, four wins, maybe picking off a team in the SEC during conference play, would be a good season. So it, it's truly a rebuilding effort, but I think Clark Lee is going to get it right in the long term. Oh, Stephen, man, uh, I was not prepared to ask you this, but you just made me think of something when you mentioned Athlon's all-conference teams. JT Daniels, I believe Athlon's got him number three, third-team SEC, and I just want to know how much crap Georgia fans have been giving you and Athlon since that selection, and if, if you're concerned, if you get any – fan mail from Athens. I was, I was worried you might ask me about that because man, every year it, it seems like, you know, there's one selection and we get some definite pushback on it. And this is the one this year. So uh, I'll walk through it. First of all, Matt Corral was first team. And I think, you know, from a, from a talent production and also experience standpoint, we went with him for those reasons. He's been the, he's the only quarterback out of that trio that we considered that has been there for a year. And certainly with the firepower that Ole Miss has, he's going to put up the stats. These are also three of the top 10 quarterbacks in the sec. So we're talking about the best of the best in college football. I think JT Daniels is going to be really, really good. I think Bryce Young's going to be really, really good too. And just watching him from high school tape and the limited action that we've I've uh, seen him in um, just been, you know, impressed with the skill set and also the track record at Alabama. It seems really weird to say that, but like Alabama's quarterbacks have, you know, were Heisman finalists, the under Mac Jones and Tua. So I think it's, it's a tough call, but we went with Bryce young over JT Daniels. If you wanted to flip them and go Daniels and, and young, I wouldn't argue with you. It's really, really close. And like I said, they're both, and, and throw Matt Corral in there as well. They're both are all top 10 quarterbacks. All right. Last thing for you, Stephen, I really appreciate all the time you took with us here, but uh, if you had to pick one player from the sec that uh, you think will win the Heisman trophy next season, who, who would you put your money on? Man, that's a great question because it, you know, the, the Heisman is such a quarterback driven award. And even though I think Matt Corral is our first team quarterback, it's probably going to be tough for him considering Ole Miss and and being outside the top 25 in most projections to win it, unless he just has a monster statistical season. So I I will go with Bryce Young or JT Daniels. They are a quarterback on a top five team. The stats should be there and they're going to win a lot of games this year. I think those two are probably the SEC's best shot at it. A lot of good running backs, but I I think one of the quarterbacks would be the SEC's best bet this year. All right. He's Steven Lassen, college football editor, Athlon Sports. Go out, get your Athlon Sports National Preview Magazine and your SEC 
Preview Magazine. Thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate it. This is uh, not only the highlight of the offseason, but it's always a treat to talk to you. Hey, Mike, anytime. Always enjoy it. And uh, much like you, looking forward to the upcoming season. All right, guys. So I hope you appreciated that one. Stephen, going on a deep dive here on any everything and everything on the SEC. I really appreciate his knowledge. And I mean, you can just, it just comes right out of the guy. I mean, he, I presented no notes to him, none at all. Just said, hey, come on board, talk some SEC football. And you can see there he's rattling off third, fourth string Florida running backs and on and on and on. So uh, this guy really is, I'll call it, hell, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. He's a guru. He's a college football guru. He can talk any and all. And it's not just SEC. He can do this for ACC, Big 12, Big 10. Uh, I asked him, you know, to come back on the show leading up to the season, have us uh, maybe give us uh, an idea of what the SEC teams are looking at in some of these non-conference games. So looking forward to, to that, having Steven back on the show to discuss some of that. But I hope you guys appreciated that as much as I did. I always enjoy talking to Steven. And like I said there in the interview, if you have not already, jump on there. Get your Athlon Sports next time you're in the grocery store, or if not, you want a specific cover that uh, is for your team, head on over to the Athlon Sports online website, which there's a link in the uh, show notes for you to do that. It, it's really worth your time and money, the Athlon Sports book. So if you guys notice, there's <laughs> there's very few preview season preview people we have on the show and it's because these are the guys that i think are a cut above so steven lassen appreciate you hopping on the line but hey guys that's gonna do it and i'm gonna try my best to get shane on the line because we got we got about half a dozen voicemail here's really good questions coming in on the on the line here which is uh, 615-800- love as Shane likes to say it so if you want to get in there try to squeeze in there before uh, we'll probably be recording Thursday evening if I can get Shane on the line here but you got a question you want to hit us up with I know a lot of people mad about my play caller rankings that's been a popular topic Shane got trolled a little bit so hey there's something for uh, <laughs> I'm telling you these questions are this late these latest batch of questions are really really good so I appreciate each and every one of y'all doing all that. And, of course, I appreciate all the ratings and reviews on the Apple Podcast app. Those help the show grow. That's why we ask you to do those. And if you do that, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. We'll send you a beer koozie free of charge. We've now got all 14 teams represented. Still waiting for Missouri and Vanderbilt to arrive in the mail, but those should be coming very, very soon. The rest I got right here sitting on the desk ready to get sent out. So we'll send you a beer koozie of your choice free of charge just for our rating and review. That's just our way of saying thanks to each and every one of you. But that's going to do it for this episode. Catch you on the next one.